0: Welcome back to the Blister Podcast on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Our guest today is Sander Hadley, who is a professional skier from Idaho and somebody who has already had a very interesting trajectory in his ski career. Now, at our last Blister Summit this past February, Sander was part of a panel session we did called The Mental Game, and you'll hear us reference that panel session a few times. And you can also watch that panel session. It's on our YouTube channel and on the Blister website. And we will include a link to that panel session in the show notes to this episode. And as you'll hear me say, I think that conversation with Johnny Collinson and Wendy Fisher and Drew Peterson and Sander is a conversation that many people, certainly many outdoor enthusiasts, but really probably just anyone of any walk of life is going to benefit from hearing, I really was looking forward to have a chance to sit down with Sander and just have a one-on-one conversation where we got to dive a bit deeper into his own story and his own path, and that is exactly what we did here today. So it was great to circle back and catch up again with Sander, this time at Snowbird in Utah and get some more skiing in, and have a number of conversations. And I'm really excited to now share this latest one with you. And so here it is, my conversation with Sander Hadley. Here we go. All right, well, I am here at Snowbird with Sander Hadley In your hotel room, we've done a number of hotel room podcasts recently. I guess this is a new genre of ours. But anyway, nice to see you again. We've had a few different sort of conversations, recorded conversations, uh, opportunities, but never just a one-on-one. So happy to be doing this. Me too. Thanks for having me. I'm nervous. (laughs) We'll, We'll be gentle. The other thing that we've been talking about in the lead up to this conversation is, is like, well, we kind of want to have like a blister podcast, right? Kind of not a gear conversation. But as I was telling you the other day, I was like, but I kind of really want to have a gear conversation too. And you, I think, reminded me like, well, Cody sort of blew apart the whole genre, the whole separation, right, of the blister podcast and gear 30. And so I think that gives us license. You know, if he co-opted a gear 30 episode – by bringing in it, turning it into like a reviewing the news I think we can do a blister podcast but also kind of veer into some gear
1: 30 territory I agree and as Cody is the current leader of the ski industry whatever he does we're following (laughs) wow wow it's a good
0: morning for you Cody congrats on the official title man what a fun couple of days of skiing just the whole big posse ski crew type of thing um and seeing a lot of good people we got to do that together at at our blister summit which was not all that long ago and pretty fun to be doing it again out here
1: absolutely yeah there's nothing fun more fun than skiing with good skiers at a fun mountain (laughs) <laughs> when the conditions are slushy. Uh yeah, absolute rippers. One of the coolest parts about working with Dina is that everybody that works at the brand lives and breathes skiing and they absolutely rip. Um I almost get self-conscious sometimes skiing. Groomers especially, these people are just train tracking, laying it down. Matt Beers, team manager. Yeah. Yeah, makes me self-conscious, but cool brand to be working for. And this event at Snowbird was huge, just you know, the last couple years. With COVID, not being able to travel and do regular ski industry things, this is just such a a revival of energy for the brand and such a good time with the M-Free line, doing great. Um, yeah, just a, a good weekend to see faces and yeah, really enjoyable. I guess we're already veering into gear 30 <laughs> I caught territory. myself there. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm,
0: I'm, I'm going to continue on this. You and I have been talking quite a bit about the M-Free 108 which is the ski I think you spend like almost 100% of your time on. And we'll we'll get into that more a bit later here. But are we at almost 100% or are we
1: at 100%? This winter, it was definitely 100%. Yeah. Um, from ski touring to riding chairlifts and being six feet, two inches tall, there's no better ski for me than the m One Hundred Eight and a 192. Mm-hmm. And I was
0: mentioning to you that when we first – got that ski to review it, we actually first got it in a 182. And we requested that length in part because we hear from, you know, just a number of people that it's like, there's not that many folks relative to the entire population of the ski world, skiing lengths over 190 centimeters. And so in the interest of trying to be like, more universally applicable or something, we called in the 182. But that ski ski is pretty short, um, I think is a pretty safe takeaway. And I then had a number of friends in Crested Butte who started skiing the 192, I think actually at the Blister Summit year one. And this became like the thing. And now there's so many 192, 192 centimeter M3 108s around CB. All of this is a long way of saying, so the last two days I've been skiing the 192 here at Snowbird, and I actually just wrote one of my friends who kind of, I think, started the 192 M 3108 108 Charge back in CB. I was like, that ski in that length paired with this mountain is kind of perfect. It's like, this is chocolate and peanut butter kind of stuff. Sanders nodding vigorously. So I think,
1: <laughs> I think he agrees with this. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, having that 192 platform, but with the rocker profile tip and tail, it skis probably more in the more 180 range. People suggest that we have another length in the higher 80s to complement them. Um, but I would just say, like Jonathan, give it a try and see what happens. But the thing is on that ski... You can't really
0: just offer it, say, in a 186. You're going to have to start bringing down tip and tail rocker profiles. Like, so I think, yeah, what we're saying is sort of ignore the 192 if that seems just too long for what you want to use as kind of an everyday ski. Like, don't worry about that part of it because I think with that length, and that tip and tail rocker profile, this all kind of works pretty nicely. And if if I'm saying, if you happen to be about my size or ski skis in the length I do, that 182 just feels pretty short, actually. So to, to just do a middle ground where you don't really start playing with tip and tail rocker heights, I don't think is going to work that well. So maybe just go with the
1: 192 and scratch out the 192 if that if that makes you nervous. (laughs) Yeah, and what's funny is that 192 actually measures out to about a 189. Um, And with all skis, there's probably a two to five centimeter variance you'd probably see in blister too. Um, So knowing that it's actually not even a 190 and it's got this rocker tip and tail, again, just give it a try. Yeah. And especially the mounting point too, play around with that. I found it such a perfect middle ground of a directional and centered ski that the mounting point recommended is around minus seven and three quarters centimeter from center. Um, but I've had it all the way up from plus four of that line to now I'm currently at plus one skiing more backcountry on it. So really your style can define where you put that mounting point too. I guess we started with gear (laughs) (laughs) three.
0: We're probably going back to gear 32, but, um, but let's shift gears
1: more about your story. Let's just go back to the very beginning. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in Pocatello, Idaho. Um, It's about two hours north of Salt Lake City, and we have a ripping local ski area there called Pebble Creek Ski Area. It's super steep, not a whole lot of snow, almost like a mini Jackson Hole. Um, It's on the I-15 corridor, so if you're ever driving from Salt Lake City to Jackson Hole or Bozeman, Montana, stop there and give it a try. Um, So after growing up in Pocatello, I came down to the University of Utah in Salt Lake City, and trying to be a park skier and realized there was a lot of teenage kids and even younger that were willing to do things that I wasn't. <laughs> and so I was like, man, I'm going to just give this up and go skiing for fun. And um, having grown up at a small ski area with not really a terrain park, we hit off cat tracks, jumps all over the mountain. And so I I switched from skiing Park City to Alta and Snowbird. And it's the ski thing just went the opposite way for me. Um, made some GoPro videos and Within the first couple months of skiing Alta, I was, ski career was taken off and that was a pleasant surprise. What year is this? This all happened in 2014. That was my junior year of college. And like I said, yeah, I was kind of let the skiing thing go. And I saw the, the Candide GoPro videos. I was like, man, I, I've had this idea to do this. I should have did it beforehand. Uh-huh. I swear, <laughs> I promise. <laughs> <laughs> um... But yeah, I I figured I'd try my hand at it. And I think the timing was huge too. I I released my first GoPro video the night of uh, the X Games Ski Big Air. And there may have been a a disconnect for viewers seeing the Ski Big Air. I know I certainly felt it. Um, Whereas, you know, jumping off cat tracks with your friends, I think that's extremely relatable to people. Yeah. Except, and I think you've maybe heard me say this by now, because
0: I've actually, I say this a lot. When I, probably that first edit of yours that i saw my first thought was like if the incredible hulk got on skis this is what it would look like <laughs> i have never said this about any other skier ever and it was just this like kind of it was just beast mode that i hadn't seen a whole lot of, you know, often we see something and you're like, yeah, yeah, it kind of reminds me of the style of so-and-so or so-and-so. And I just was like, what is happening right now?
1: <laughs> Have you heard me actually compare you to the Incredible Hulk? You know, not directly to me, but when we were skiing at the Blister Summit a couple of weeks ago, we were lining up a jump and we had some testers with us too. And I hit the jump and I heard Jonathan describe, Sander, he's like the Incredible Hulk and he skis <laughs> that way. And I was just like, I am ex- try to be as humble as possible, so I don't like to have compliments and stuff, so thank you. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, we I, I've made the
0: comparison twice, actually. I don't know if you met our reviewer, Drew Kelly, at the summit. When it comes to carving, Drew bends a ski in wild ways that I think he only weighs like 165 pounds, and when you see him, we talk about Drew, Drew's like the best turn in Crested Butte. But it is the most powerful application of forces to a ski on firm snow. So I have admittedly used this, uh, the Incredible Hulk analogy, twice. You get it for the air. Drew Kelly gets it on the ground. And anyway, I just want to be, you know, be be clear here yeah i mean so the, this is sorry sorry for the incredible hulk um departure but i feel like i needed to at least tell you that because i talk about you a decent amount behind your back and i, I felt like you should know this so, i appreciate that yeah. and i appreciate that it's positive yeah it is at least we you're telling you now <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah hulk smash hulk smash edit was just sort of what it looked like coming out and the other funny thing to me is that man that was only 2014 like I, I've lost all sense of
1: time, but I would have assumed earlier than that. I'm right there with you, man. Obviously the last two years, the whole timetable of life have been thrown off. So yeah, it, it seems like it was yesterday at some points and at other points I'm like, wow, I've been a professional skier for almost 10 years now. What a blessing.
0: I also, by the way, this morning went down to get coffee and you know, Rachel Burks showed up. And so we enjoyed a coffee uh, line together. She was actually telling me, about 30 minutes ago, about her first trip to Pebble Creek. Do you remember this? Um, If it's the one she's talking about last winter, I do. Was this last winter? This was, yeah. Okay, I, I guess I wasn't quite sure when this happened. I thought this was a few years ago or something. But she was like, yeah, come on through. And she just said, like, chasing Sander on sort of his home turf.
1: So this was last year? Yep. Okay. She said it was kind of amazing. I mean, she is she's my idol, man. Growing up, seeing her lay out backflips, like there's very few women that ski that aggressively. Men too. I mean, let's yeah. just bar none. She is one of the baddest skiers around. Um, and getting to be on Dina Star with her is like a, a childhood dream. I get starstruck every time I see her. And of course, she's just the most open. Yeah inviting person ever. Um so that's an incredible compliment coming from her. I'm of course trying to show off in front of her whenever I can. Perfect. Yep, <laughs> as as you should.
0: Side note for anyone who cares. Upcoming Blister podcast conversation with Rachel. If anybody listened to the one I did with her a while ago, it's a follow-up to that. So a little bit of a teaser there, but we're excited. So, More book and philosophy talk. Yes, yes, <laughs> exactly. So yeah. Okay, so I want to back up a little bit though from talking about Pebble Creek. You go to University of Utah, but were you the kid that just started skiing when you were two years old? Was this your sort of your
1: path in life? Absolutely, yeah. My parents had me on skis at two years old and every weekend since, I mean, there was, my mother had a, a place in Sun Valley, Idaho too. And growing up, we would go there on the weekends. But the problem with that is we only got to ski on Saturday uh-huh. and then we'd have to come home on Sunday. And so, man, I, I sound so privileged, but at a point I was like, mom, can I just stay home with dad and go to Pebble Creek for two days every weekend? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that was always... uh Something to do as a family. Growing up, I played a lot of team sports, and the ski hill was such a disconnect where it was just full-on enjoyment, no coach. Um, Yeah, always looked forward to riding the chairlift with my dad. Even though we wouldn't ski the run together, we would always try to ride the chair together. Hmm. So that's pretty special.
0: Hmm. What was the team sports stuff? I don't think I knew this. I don't think you and I
1: have talked about this. So sports are huge in my family. My grandfather actually played for the New York Yankees back in 1960 with Mickey Mantle, Roger Maris. Yeah, incredible. Um, And then he went over to Japan and played baseball over there, was the first American voted in the Japanese All-Star Game. So sports have been a big deal. My mother was a junior Olympian volleyball player, incredible athlete. Um, So, yeah, growing up, baseball, All-Star baseball, football, um, even a little bit of soccer, too. And so growing up, I was extremely competitive, still am. And that's kind of why i try to stay away from ski competitions and why skiing for me has always kind of been my thing you know people have been playing sports team sports forever and this skiing thing especially at the time when i got into it in the mid 2000s it was such an opportunity to do your own thing and i thought that i could maybe do it even though everybody growing up was you know you got to live in park city utah to have a career and do this stuff and in reality i guess it worked out pretty well (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I mean, look at us. Here we are. <laughs>
0: okay. The, I guess the part then I'm wondering about is I, I know the kind of background of sort of the mainstream team sports thing. And that usually means, uh, you know, as a kid, you maybe have aspirations of like, I'm going to play college or maybe even, you know, make it into the pros. And did you have those thoughts? And then
1: later you thought, well, maybe not that, but maybe this skiing route. Yeah, definitely. Um, growing up we were I was in all star baseball from age eight to about thirteen and I, I loved it, lived it, breathed it. Um obviously with the grandfather playing for the yeah. Yankees, there was some expectations involved too. And I think that kind of got a little in my head and seeing skiing around a similar time really starting to take off. Um I gravitated towards that and uh yeah, the team sports mindset is beneficial at points with the skiing deal. Obviously, getting into backcountry and stuff like that, you need a team mm-hmm. to be well, to be good at what you're doing and safe in what you're doing. Um, but I really enjoy the the selfish pursuit of, of this um, and making it my own. Hmm. So
0: you went to University of Utah already in mind, like, I'm going to go to school, but I, I kind of also want to keep seeing what I can do with this on the skiing side of life while being in school that was a clear double like double interest
1: in going to university of utah absolutely yeah and i was extremely lucky to have my parents help me out with school and so i was able to ski a lot in the winter time um and obviously once you get around people that are a little bit better than you you start to compare yourself and wonder if you can level up too um and so, yeah, it was always, like I said earlier, I wanted to be a professional park skier and then realizing that I had a lot, found a lot more enjoyment kind of making my own hits and the ski area of Alta and Snowbird. Um, yeah, it was a whole new emerging world at that point.
0: So take it from there. You talked about, you know, you drop your first edit, could have gone a little, you know, sooner, pre-Candide. Yeah, that's that's one, like, the, like, things we might want to go back in time and redo. There's one for you. Um, but then talk about what happens. People like me, some others are like, oh my God, I think you probably got a few folks uh, at least with with that reaction. And and then what?
1: Yeah. So putting out those first GoPro video, um, I had just hit up Cody Townsend at Arcade Belts about a month before that and asked him for some free stuff. And he sent me a little handwritten letter and a couple belts. I was just like, here, man, wish you the best. And, um, yeah, put out that GoPro edit. And I guess I, I believe I tagged arcade belts, just like you do in social media, you know, spray Mm -hmm. tag all sponsors. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and so Cody actually ended up showing it to Scott Gaffney of MSP films and Gaffney had had this idea of wanting to do an inbounds resort segment for a few years. And so it just perfectly aligned And I'll never forget hanging out with a a close friend of mine and seeing my phone ring. And it was Cody Townsend's phone number. Uh, I didn't know his phone number. Excuse me. I I had him in my contacts. Hadn't spoken to him before, but had him in my contacts somehow. And I see the phone ringing and I'm like, man, I can't answer this. And my buddy's like, you have to answer that call. So I actually just let it ring through. And he left a voicemail and he's just like, hey, man, give me a call back. And so I call him back shaking. Like, "Hey, hey, 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 man, how's it going? He's like, great, dude, uh, cool video. How's conditions at Snowbird? Would you want to show Scott Gaffney and I around Snowbird next week? And like, uh, yeah, come on out, man. Huh. Um, so yeah, had an incredible opportunity there to shoot with Cody Townsend. Thanks, Gilberty came here to Snowbird as well. They shot at a couple other different resorts, but I primarily I was just at Snowbird with them. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, seeing these guys ski the hits that I was skiing, and I'm like, man, okay, maybe I can play a little bit in this realm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, things went went well with the with the resort stuff. I did another edit later that year and um honestly that snowbird resort segment is still probably the the thing I'm recognized most for. Mm-hmm. It's on Red Bull's YouTube now with around I think 8 or 9 million views. Um and funny like we say, you know, 2014 seems like that decade ago, you know, almost, but I guess it's still relevant. And uh yeah, so from there um MSP was trying to get me on board and with title sponsors i'm not sure everybody knows how the ski movie game works but you got to align your sponsors with who's putting money into into the production companies and at the time under armor was their big title sponsor and they went to under armor and was like hey you guys got this three-year contract with us and we'd really like to shoot with sander hadley and uh yeah i was able to get on under armor through matchstick productions and uh yeah then they're it was ready for the, the real deal tryout now. Um, and they invited me on a trip to Golden Alpine holidays with the MSP all-star team of Eric Yorlifson, Michelle Parker, Marcus Etter, Tanner Rainville, Sean Jordan. I was like, man, all right, I've wanted to ski pillows my whole life. And it's time, time to go prove myself. And my father had passed away about six months before that. And I thought I was all good in a mental space. And I went on that trip and it was the most humbling experience of my life. Just fell down the pillows, was in the trees, just yelling and screaming and realizing that I'm, I'm not okay. And, uh, to do that in front of the idols, is like, it was extremely embarrassing at the time and still something that's a bit of point of contention with myself, but being that open with those people and talking with them later, they didn't have anything negative to say about me. They're just like, you were in a tough spot. Um, and so I, I'm willing to admit, like I, I kind of dropped the ball on that on that tryout, um, and it was 20 days out there with with Hoji, and I learned so much. And uh, past there, we just did a couple resort segments at Crested Butte, and I felt like I, you know, had kind of dropped the ball with the full backcountry deal, and was just going to be the resort guy. And you know, to have a ski career is a dream, anyways. But I had higher aspirations of wanting to continue into the backcountry. And so, yeah, it wasn't exactly a linear progression. Hmm. By the way,
0: we just had at our Blister Summit this panel session that we titled The Mental Game, which you were a big part of. And hearing you talk about, I mean, it's it hurts hearing you talk about, like, man, I wasn't okay. And I'm being not okay in front of, like, my heroes. Essentially Tom Brady. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I... Uh, the one thing is, like, first of all, I I, I hear that and I can <laughs> I, have an appreciation for how awful that would feel. I would like to think that here and, you know, fast forward a bit to 2022, I would like to think that maybe we all are in a better position to... Like 2014, I mean, this is not, again, this is not uh, ancient history, but I get that like you're not allowed to have anything going on in your life, mm-hmm. right? Shove that aside, get out there, perform at a high level, right? Absolutely. I do think we are at least getting to a spot today where people, like that's shifting. Like I'd like to think <laughs> in some weird world where if this were to be the exact same experience now- maybe you wouldn't have to, in addition to being in a lot of pain and feeling a lot of loss, also have to deal with that embarrassment, right? Like, I I don't know. And I think, or I hope that, and I said this at the time, especially for young people coming up, I hope that panel session that you were a part of with Johnny and Wendy and Drew, um, I hope that, like, gives more permission to people to be like you know what i'm not great right now very very hard things just happened and it's okay to not we're not robots anyway i don't know what that sounds like to you or if you agree with maybe that that things have shifted a bit or if we like no man they still need to shift a whole lot in terms of how we think about
1: well the mental game Yeah, totally. I think that it's definitely powerful to talk about um, and also understanding that you have these expectations to do these things and it's not following through. But it's also on the person, you know, if you're not feeling well, to verbalize that to people. And, you know, in in my, I think I was 22 years old at that point and Hmm. so far in my own head. And so I, I don't expect somebody to know to do that, but that would be my piece of advice is just try to be open and telling people where you're at even if it is your hero, Eric Hurlison And, mm-hmm. you know, those people are a lot more open than you'd, you'd think. Um, and anybody who's a human can relate to things not going the way that they thought they would. Um, and so, yeah, I do think in 2022, people are more receptive to um, honesty and where you're at. Because, again, in the backcountry, you're working together as a team. Mm-hmm. So... Again, it was just a huge learning experience, and I learned so much in those 20 days. Um, but yeah, I do think that we're at a, a better spot to to talk about things. But obviously, if you don't verbalize to people what's going on, then they, how, how could you expect them to know? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, again, I'm so grateful for that opportunity and have learned so much from that. But yeah, human human struggle and not things not going the way you, you want them to. It's probably a relatable tale to every breathing person.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So you were saying that you had those aspirations to, I don't know, in effect, be more of the backcountry skier. And then you said, you know, after that experience, you were kind of back to filming sort of inbound segments, being the inbounds guy. I guess that part I didn't know about your story. Like when the interest really in the backcountry stuff grabbed a hold of you, this wasn't a year or two ago.
1: This is pretty early on in your career. So yeah, I think the the natural progression for people that they see for professional skiers is they make their way into the backcountry. They ski pillows in British Columbia, then they make their way to Alaska. Mm-hmm. And if there's any sort of path, that's it. And so as an athlete, I realized that you know that's that is where you can have a lot longer career in the soft snow and seeing eric Curlefson, i'm not sure how old he is i don't want to age you hoji but you're probably 80. i 80, think he's yeah. 80. <laughs> yeah and still just killing it after inventing the wheel and right 100 ad yes. um, <laughs> yeah um so yeah the natural progression seems to be you know backcountry pillows alaska and so wanting that as an athlete in your early 20s, it's like, how could this not happen this way? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, you kind of have some mess ups and back to Cody Townsend, just going to stroke this guy's ego some more because <laughs> I know he needs it. He had a similar um, trajectory with his career. He he kind of got a shot with, I believe it was MSP or maybe TGR early in his career and kind of had a rough go to on a trip and didn't get an invite back for I think seven to 10 years. Mm. And him being open about that is like incredible because like, okay, it's not a linear progression and you can have some trial and error involved as a professional skier. You just learn so much every winter from how to hold your mental game to rope exercises and stuff. And so I don't know, just, uh, admitting, Admitting that you want to do this, but realizing it's going to take a lot more work than than you thought. Hmm.
0: So it's interesting, maybe not that surprising, actually, but I was going to say it's interesting that even so early in your career, you were thinking about longevity, you know? Like that almost seems like maybe something – first, you're just in it, and then eventually, you know – in the second decade or something of a career, that's when you're like, how do I, you know, obviously you like your life, a lot of elements of it. You certainly are passionate about skiing. So how do, does one keep this going? But, and I guess it was just given that experience of the early trip, maybe that forced the issue, that question of longevity brought that about or that concern about a bit sooner
1: than it might otherwise have happened. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, back to that Golden Alpine holidays trips with the the MSP All-Star team, those people have made themselves valuable to the brands that they work for. Again, Hoji is probably almost 40 now. Michelle Parker, similar route. Yeah, the game of longevity, obviously doing the the inbounds resort stuff, you take some hits and jumping into moguls and stuff is fun and all, but (laughs) when you go touring for 20 straight days and hit soft snow, you realize that your body feels a lot better. Mm-hmm. And this is where you want to put things. Um, this is where you want to make a career. You see, you know, the Chris Davenports, the Eric Herlifsons, Cody Townsend. Um, they figured out a way to make themselves relevant. And also they figured out what their skills are and what they have to offer to people um, and the industry. All of those people are in incredible shape and also are incredibly intelligent and calculated mm-hmm. and not to stroke my own Ego, but I feel like I've got the the motivation, the fitness, um, and maybe a little bit of intelligence too to realize that you need to be educated to do this stuff. And there's just so much more to it. And obviously, with the the rise of backcountry over the last decade, especially since the pandemic, um, this is kind of where the money is in the the industry, um, where it may not have been ten years ago. Even this is the path to longevity, in my opinion. Hmm. Let's talk a bit about
0: the fitness side. Were you kind of always on that, the fitness program because of back going back to like the team sports stuff? Or were you the, you know, the kind of high school kid that's like, look, when you're 16, eat gummy bears all day, it doesn't matter, right? Type of stuff. Like when did the, when did the like, oh yeah, like turns out being fit
1: also really good thing in terms of longevity. Yeah, definitely the team sports and the, you see the people that are most successful are the ones that are prepared. Um, and that goes into your mental game too, but understanding and seeing your peers doing what they do in the ski industry, you know, there's lots of pitfalls of substance and mm-hmm. alcohol and other things like that. Realizing that if I took this a little more seriously and brought just a, a titch of professionalism mm-hmm. to this, that I could probably go far. Thankfully, my father introduced me to road cycling when I was 19. And mm. as a 19-year-old guy, there's probably nothing less cool than <laughs> road biking. <laughs> um, but when you start skiing again and your mm. your quads aren't burning and you're realizing you can go a little further and land on something you may not be able to land on without fitness and recovery, that I felt like that gave me an early edge over my peers. And seeing that edge, it just made me want to go even further. And now I'm to the point where – I'm not even drinking alcohol. I'm a vegetarian. And I follow the Tom Brady's and how they're, you know, holding themselves accountable as an athlete and taking, taking drastic steps in your life. Um, yeah. We commonly talk about the mental game and skiing. And if there's any way to mitigate that and prepare yourself, it's, it's to be prepared Yeah, and take it seriously. Yeah. It's funny. I, again,
0: going back to mainstream sports, like as a kid, when I was coming up, I actually started lifting really young, like in seventh grade. And not to say I knew what I was doing, but you know, with the whole football basketball stuff, that was kind of part of it. And when I, you know, started getting into skiing and looking around, I was like, wow, no pro skiers are talking about like training. It was like, well, I just like to ski and then ride my bike and that's all I do. And it was so wild to me. Because I would sort of look at like how regimented, um, you know, the uh, specifically talking about strength training here, um, baseball players, football players, basketball players would be like on the weight room side. And it was like skiing was this like, no, no, that's not what we do. We kind of just party and then go do it and then like get into wildly consequential situations you know, but it's like fun. And you just drink a bunch of beer and then go do your thing. And I was like, how does this work? And I do think we've seen a shift certainly over the last decade with just, yeah, a number of athletes, skiers, um, being like, look, if we're really going to do this at a high level, you better come into a season pretty strong and fit. And not to say everybody needs to be in the weight room if that's not your jam, but like, it's changed. That's something that I think has really changed over the last, say, ten to fifteen years.
1: Absolutely, and seeing the the preparation, like you say, of of the real. Well, I don't. Know, I don't want to say that we're not real athletes, but the ones that are making big money in team sports. Um, you know, you see defensive ends and they're carrying chains with you know tires falling mm-hmm. them and stuff, and their careers don't last as long as skiers. That's right. Um, and so figuring out a way to do that as a, as a skier is, is everything. And like you say, over the last 10 years, you know, there might've been a a fall magazine article about like, you know, here's a ski workout Uh and there's a lot more that you need to do than just a couple burpees. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. To paint the whole picture, you gotta have, you gotta take it seriously. So on the longevity side.
0: I don't know how much you can say about this. We've had a couple of conversations. I Actually, I think maybe we were riding the T-bar at Crested Butte together when we were talking a little bit about this, but I'm curious if you're willing or able to talk a little bit about you know, where things are headed. You've talked a lot about the backcountry, but... You, I know, have some thoughts about some things you'd like to see, maybe some things you want to do. Are we still too early to sort of talk at all about some of the projects, initiatives,
1: et cetera, you have in mind? It's okay if you say we're too early. No, absolutely not. Um, and I think the the more I put off talking about that and putting the backcountry stuff at the forefront, the more I'm going to pigeonhole myself as being this resort guy. <laughs> um yeah. And like I said, from even eight years ago, seeing the path of longevity in, in the backcountry and realizing that I can take that similar skiing style of doing tricks off of hits in the ski resort to doing them in the natural realm of the backcountry. Um, yeah, it's tough. Having been the the GoPro kid initially, I tried to shake that hard and not want to wear a GoPro for four or five years. Um, but you also got to realize who's supporting you and what they're supporting you to do. Um, but I think it's also important to have some future aspirations. So for example, with Dina star, we've got this awesome M free line right now that just absolutely rips the resort. Um, all the free ride kids are on it, you know, older people enjoy it, the way it skis. Um, and I understand that it's my job to, to push that ski and show what it can do in the ski resort. And so I got to kind of play the hits at that point. Um, but also talking with them about where they're trying to push their lineup of maybe a little more backcountry oriented skis, some products coming down the pipeline. Um, and I've just been trying to have an open dialogue with Nick Casaginoli, head of marketing and Matt beers, the team manager being real with them about, you know, I want to push this into the backcountry, and do we line up on that? And they're like, yes, we do actually have some products coming down the pipeline, a partnership with protect our winters, um, And that's the stuff that I want to be at the forefront of. Um, Connor Ryan, Sacred Stoke, he's been a great um, inspiration to the whole industry, but in particular myself, just with his blatant calls out of professional skiers and not taking the environmental action seriously. um, He kind of shook things up and was like, every skier should be an outdoor advocate. We talk about surfing. I've mentioned this before. Just about every surfer has a connection with the ocean and understands that they need to protect that. And the ocean is there all the time. This snow that we use to flight on these mountains is gone in the summertime. It's like complete magic. You look up at something in the summer and like, how does this even happen? And so understanding that it's not going to be around for that much longer, and we've already seen drastic shifts in the climate, the way the weather comes in or it doesn't come in. Um, yeah, I just think as professional skiers, we've got to be talking the talk and walking the walk cuz we are extracting a resource here and we are making a living off of this and if nobody else is going to speak up and protect it if if we don't speak up and protect it then who else will and so that's that goes into the whole me wanting to transition fully into backcountry um the connection to nature once you're out there strictly doing foot powered stuff um And I think that I have something to offer people that's entertaining that way and still be able to get a message across. I haven't asked you this question before. I have had
0: a lot of conversations. I've talked about this on probably several podcasts we've done. But that whole thing about, I guess I'm circling back to the mental game here a little bit. That whole thing, I talk about, you know, we do a lot of stuff at Blister. There's a lot of things in a given day that, you know, come onto my plate to deal with. Um, but once you're dropping into a line, that is the time when sort of it all goes away. Everything goes away. And I like I don't meditate, you know, I don't I don't sit in my house for 30 minutes or an hour or whatever, just still. <laughs> it's dropping into the line. And I cannot overstate the mental significance, the break, the relief that that is for me. Like that is actually the meditation for me. I'm curious for you, you're nodding. I think it sounds, it seems like you can relate to what I'm saying about that part where you're actually dropping in the line. We on the same page here. Absolutely. When you're just in the backcountry in general, like, I'm not sure that I feel that exact same way, like if I'm just on the skin track, but I wonder if that's the same for you or how, like from, again, thinking about the mental part of this, are you like, no man, the minute I'm out and breaking trail or on a skin track, you kind of feel like you're in that sort of meditative point or does this make sense even?
1: No, it, it totally does. Um, <laughs> And what's funny is I actually do meditate, try to do five minutes a day at least. Um, I've seen a lot of benefits from yoga, but mainly the meditation side of things. Mm. Um, And when you're sitting with your own thoughts, it's a little different than something demanding your full attention, but it still brings you to that clarity and your mind isn't able to be occupied by other things. And so going from the ski resort where – I'm not going to lie, there's the Hollywood aspect of it, of Mm -hmm. skiing underneath the chairlift. You know, who's watching me? Mm -hmm. Is my friend watching me? I got to drop before him so that he sees what I do. Mm -hmm. Um, There's probably more going on in the ski resort than in the backcountry. Like you say, once I'm out there, it's how am I staying safe? How am I? What's the snow like? It's I'm very focused in on what's going on out there. And it's enabled me to fall in love with skiing again, going from such an ego-charged resort Hmm. of just flex, Hollywood, big backflips under the chairlift, who's watching me, to now being fully on my own out there and just doing what I want to do. Hmm. Um, Yeah, Matt Sturbin's from Wonder, he and I were talking about this at the Blister Summit. It's it's enabled us to fall in love with skiing again, going into the backcountry and not fighting people in the lift line to ski the same run that you've skied 5,000 times. Don't get me wrong. I love to do that still. Mm. But I've realized that every day, in order to have a healthy approach with this, the backcountry has been a saving grace. Interesting.
0: That's very interesting. And <laughs> I was like, while you're talking, I'm like, maybe this is the difference at being, you know. Let's say okay at skiing versus being really good at skiing when you're like, Oh, who's watching me on this? Whereas when I drop into a line that's like a little bit spicy or something, I'm just like, I need to, I need to be real focused on what I'm doing here. You might be at a level where it's like, Yeah, I'm not. It's not the skiing part. You know, like I got the line now. It's like who's watching or whatever. So maybe maybe that's the difference. You should try being
1: less good at skiing, Sandra. You'll you'll be able to reclaim this, this thing you seek. I was on a recent backcountry trip and it was for a photo shoot. And um, one of the people that I work for, she was saying that she wants to bring the ethos of telling everybody that you ski with that you're a really good skier. Or for example, ski touring, when somebody's faster than you, you can tell them ahead of time, like, you're really good at ski touring. You don't got to show me that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just just let this do the talking. Um, and so that was the common joke. It's like, <laughs> hey, you're really good at skiing. You don't need to show off. I, we were on a backcountry film shoot, so we didn't want anything to happen or anybody to get hurt. So, yeah, tell your friends that they're good at skiing and they maybe won't do as sketchy as stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I want to hear. A bit, I appreciated hearing your
0: talk about working with Dina Star and, you know, hearing that the brand is interested and open to making some moves along that, that sort of align with some of the moves you're trying to make. I want to ask you about Picture. Tell me a little bit about when this brand came onto your radar and what working with them has been like.
1: Yeah. So I started working with PICTURE in the winter of 2019. I was actually headed to Japan on my first trip there. And the partnership with Under Armour, they pulled out of skiing a couple of years earlier. So I was out without a, uh, an outerwear sponsor. And I was asking Spencer Harkins from Pit Viper, who's one of my great friends. Mm-hmm. Everybody in this industry is great friends with Harkins, mm-hmm. but I promise we're real friends, man. <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, Spencer connected me with um, Mauro and Jesse, who run Campfire Collective. Mm -hmm. And they were looking to expand the North American athlete side of things with picture. There had been um, kind of a mismatch of messaging, just like it's a pretty common tale with European-based brands trying to get the messaging over to North America. Um, So they felt like they were in a good spot to start working with athletes. And what's funny is I was talking to a potential snowboard manufacturer I'll leave them nameless for now about building skis and their ethos of the snowboarding was it's all foot powered. It's all, you could probably guess who this is. I probably shouldn't be talking about this too much. Um, we'll leave it at that. And so one of the deals with starting the relationship with pictures, like, Hey, I'm going to start working for the snowboard brand and help them design the ski side of things. Hmm. So I may have pulled a little bait and switch there on them. <laughs> um, and things with Dina started ended up working out but, anyways, Pictures ethos um, is pretty similar to, to other brands that are trying to push environmentalism, such as Patagonia, um, where from the beginning they've been about fighting climate change using alternative uh, materials in the manufacturing process and actually walking the walk. And so, for me, that was a, a point where I was all in on the ski touring backcountry thing. Um, picture aligned great with that. And it's been a motivator to continue down the path of being an activist um, and doing my own thing because they do need help with with getting the messaging across here in North America. And I think in Europe, people are much more open to the climate talk than they are in in North America. Um, I think North American consumers really want you to be talking the talk and most importantly, walking the walk, you know, like what changes are you making? Mm -hmm. You know, you can tell me to not ride my snowmobile, but then I see you in a helicopter in Alaska and it's like, okay, well, there's a little bit of a disconnect here. For me, the relationship with picture has just been reassurance to keep following my own path and keep doing my own thing. Um, and having their support to do that is, is huge. And I know we've, we've mentioned this before we started recording. Um, maybe the difference in what sponsors are trying to do with like a Dina star versus a picture. Um, Dina star ethos right now, obviously is very strong in the free ride, um, mechanized realm. You know, we talked about the, the M free, um, but also, you know, they, you're paid to do something and I want to respect that, but also, like I say, keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. And so with the two different sponsors, um, I mentioned this to Jonathan before we started recording of, I don't know the key to success, but I know the key to failure is trying to please everybody. Mm -hmm. And so trying to play the snowmobile game or the helicopter game of these MSP athletes and what traditionally a good Dina star athlete has been, Mm -hmm. um, you know, heavy sins and the free ride and stuff like that. Uh, Again, back to the communication thing, I I try to just be as open as I can with the, the team managers and telling them where I'm at and making sure that we're aligning moving forward. And it sure seems like a, and this is maybe the like portion of the conversations,
0: like advice to youth, like actually be a professional, you know, like, and I mean, when I say be a professional, everything other than the skiing, right? Are you on time to stuff? Are you good at communication and replying to emails? (laughs) Are you where you need to be when you're supposed to be somewhere? Like... Honestly, I still think that is a message that needs to be heard, you know? And I think that a number of the people that you've mentioned in this conversation already part of their longevity has been that they are actually professional sort of human beings and they're very locked in on this side of things. And I think that my my suspicion here is you know, when you are one of those people where the brands are like, this person is just super solid. And then when you're like, Hey, I'm having these thoughts, I kind of want to move things in this direction. You probably are in a better or more likely position to actually pull that off. You know, if you're not a dumpster fire to
1: work with. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Um, I'm sure people know that there are so many good skiers out yeah. there nowadays and in order to separate yourself from that is exactly bring a level level of professionalism and understanding your spot in the industry what you're trying to do um yeah it's like you say replying to emails it seems so novel but you leave those people on read i think for for some people and myself included there's there seems to be a disconnect between the real world and I'm finger quoting here and the ski world, um, where in the ski world, you know, your, your craft's trying to be cheapened at every point and you're willing to, to do things for not a whole lot of resources that you wouldn't normally do in a real job. Mm -hmm. Um, and so treating it like a real job is very appreciated by the people that you work for. And it's only going to benefit yourself. Like you say, the Chris Davenports, the Cody Townsends, they have figured out a way to keep themselves marketable and valuable to these brands and are also at industry events being a friendly face and at the trailhead Mm -hmm. being a friendly face, Mm -hmm. mentors, Mm -hmm. like those guys are, and, and women too, Michelle Parker, um, you know, the level of professionalism that she brings is it's enabled her to have a career this late in her, you know, just like men get older. Everybody does. Um, yeah, I think the the level of professionalism needs to be there. So like Jonathan said, if there's a message to young athletes I can give, it's, it's to bring a little bit of professionalism to it and treat it like a real job. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to have a good relationship with your boss. You want them to trust you when other opportunities arise, you want to be the first person thought of. Um, And I think one of the things people miss too is like being enjoyable to be around. And like you say, there's so much more than just the skiing. You got to be able to have conversations with people, be yourself most importantly, but yeah, there's plenty of good skiers out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, it takes me back to mention this guy again, Cody Townsend. Um, I think about six years ago at one of those MSP premieres, I was complaining to him about social media, a common tale of, of athletes. Um, and he's like, man, you need to shift your perspective here a little bit because you're such an incredible skier that that should be easy. You know, these people that don't have the athletic feats that you have, they got to figure out a BS post of, you know, their body or whatever. And that's totally fine. You can figure out whatever you want to do and be successful, but as a good skier, it should be that much easier to do your job well, especially with social media. And so, Yeah, kids, just hold yourself accountable.
0: Hmm.
1: Hmm. I think we shift back to gear 30. Sounds good.
0: We said we were going to bring that M-Free 108 back. And I want to get some of your thoughts about boots and the rest. You have been touring. You, You are not on the light is right, or you have not yet been in your life on the light is right side of the spectrum. I think this is fair to say. Correct. Talk about your, talk about sort of your just, well, I- Are you literally on one setup all the time everywhere?
1: Yes. Yeah. I'm totally on one setup all the time and having shifted from different boots and different skis, I've realized the importance of knowing a setup and knowing how your body reacts to those things subconsciously. Um, And so my whole thought process and ethos is I want to be able to enjoy the way down and I don't ever want to be limited by the gear that I'm on um, because I'm, skiing for the enjoyment and the fun that it gives me almost in like a skateboarding sense of like you want to be able to hit that jump or hit that thing um and so thankfully cast and look go together like chocolate and peanut butter (laughs) (laughs) on the ski and it may be a 12 and a half pounds on each foot type of setup but again that personal fitness and it's just like a heavy mountain bike Mm -hmm. if you're riding that thing up it's only going to make you better. Mm -hmm. And once you're going down, you're going to be glad you have that a little bit of mass. Um, bikes are a little different than skis, but we don't need to get in the weeds there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, my whole concern is, is the way down, Mm -hmm. but also understanding that, you know, it it needs to walk. Well, we've come a long way from the marker Duke frame Mm -hmm. binding that they used to make, um, the cast, obviously Mm -hmm. the tech toe, anybody that's ever toured with one of those understands the physics of it and how much easier it is. And so being able to have something that's essentially bulletproof, I really have never had any trouble with the ski or the the binding aside from blatant user error. Mm-hmm. Um, I never wanna be the the weak link out there, but we're humans. We're gonna that's gonna happen eventually. But yeah, I like to be on one setup all the time. This 108 width where I'm skiing in, um, in the Western US, mainly Idaho, Utah, Wyoming, it just works so well, especially when it doesn't snow more than six inches of storm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. By the way, I have to
0: say, as a kind of ode to being on sort of the same gear all the time, yesterday, before I got in the afternoon back on the 192 M-Free 108, but in the morning, I was on a prototype ski. The carving ski. Yeah. And I'm like, cool. I'm out with like, I don't know, a dozen pro skiers, you know, like, and everyone, it was super fun, but everyone is skiing like, you know, fast and hard (laughs) on lines that I haven't skied some ever and other lines I haven't skied in like a decade. And I'm like, cool. I have no idea what this ski does. Awesome. You know, (laughs) It's like, yeah, I was, uh, I was like, this would be a really nice time to know exactly what
1: your gear does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you could thank the hungry twenty-year-olds that Matt Beers hooks up, um, <laughs> that are here with us this week, that are just bringing the level to. You, you, we're just trying to match it. So, <laughs> anyway, but that that, uh, and I mean, this is something.
0: It's part of our job. Like we are often just switching through boots and skis and the rest. And and man, there is something incredibly, people often ask, they're like, that's amazing. You get to test all this new stuff <laughs> all the time. And you're like, yes, but there is something like, I know what my own personal favorite stuff is. And to actually be able to just not think about your gear at all and just focus on whatever line you're skiing or when you're in a new place, not Really, when you want to be like, what is this doing right now? Where I have no idea how hard this
1: shovel is going to want to hook up right now. Um, anyway, that's my- No, totally. You want to be driving your own car over Red Mountain Pass, <laughs> not your buddy's car every different day. <laughs>
0: Thank you. Sander gets me. See, Sander gets me. Okay, this said though, you've already said there maybe are some new skis you know, in the works from Dina Star. You know this. You are eventually going to start this this, is, this will be a question posed as a strong statement, okay? You're eventually – your setup's going to lighten up. I don't know. I, I want to break
1: – I just want to level with you. I want to make sure <laughs> that there's not, like, delusion here. No, certainly not. And understanding that most of the time when I am skiing in the backcountry at my home ski area, I'm not doing rowdy stuff. I'm not – I don't need all of the cast, you know – we talk about the Jeremy heights and stuff where those mm-hmm. guys are making four turns down yeah. 3000 foot faces. Like yeah. I don't really do that every day. I'd like to think I do, but mm-hmm. I don't. Um, and just like when you get a lighter pair of running shoes or something, you're like, okay, maybe this could be a good mm-hmm. thing. Um, but again, you gotta, you gotta change your skiing style a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Spencer Harkins for pit Viper is also a Dina star athlete and he's made the switch to the M tour line this last year. And, I went ski touring with him last weekend and he talked about how he just has to be conscious of what he's on mm-hmm. but he really doesn't feel like it holds him back too much. Um so I guess for myself it is going to require a bit of a mindset shift but I am I am definitely open to it. I have skied pin bindings in the past um and I think there's there's good ones and there's not so good ones. Mm-hmm. Um as a look athlete I should probably stay in my lane and just talk about their Dinafit partnership that they're <laughs> that they're doing. Um you know, there's a lot of good brands though out there, ATK, the, the free rider thing with the, the free ride pad mm-hmm. to kind of eliminate that heel wishy-washiness of tech bindings. Um, I'm definitely open to it, okay. but I think it's also important to match the binding, the boot, the ski. And I know that you're, you have the same mindset of yeah. this. Um, you don't want to overpower. So for example, we've got the M3108, which is an incredibly stout, strong ski, I'd be very hesitant to put a tech binding on that Mm -hmm. and try to ski that the way that I do with the cast. Um, So understanding that, you know, there's, there's other products that pair well pair better together um, specifically the M tour line. And we've got another ski coming down the pipeline that might be a little wider than that. Um, That's where I'd feel comfortable putting a tech binding on there and don't have to ski it quite as, consciously as mm-hmm. a different setup so yeah I think just lining up that power transmission is important totally yeah and I, this is a message so we're gonna we'll do another
0: PSA on this is I want people to just understand the compromises that they're making because again we just there's too many people that are buying a tech T- a tech binding. And it's like, cool. Now I only need one binding and that's <laughs> sick. And I'm going to be inbounds on it and in the back country. And I still think as an industry, we need to do a good job, maybe a better job of just making sure that people understand, like you don't get to ski the same way on all of this niche equipment. It ha- it all has its place, right? It all has its place. But it's up to us, the skier, to be like, cool, okay, these are the compromises I'm making today, and I need to change a style or ski more
1: conservatively, et cetera, et cetera. So absolutely. And we were joking last night with fellow Dina Star athlete Forrest Coots about yeah. him having a wide he's you called him the most versatile skier around yes. because he hops from, you know, a, a super lightweight boot and the Pierre Amenta yep. ski touring ski, and then he hops on to the stoutest 140 boot and M3 yep. 108. Um, there's definitely different tools for different jobs. We we made the funny analogy of the golf clubs in the yes. golf bag. Yes, <laughs> yeah, and uh, I'm sure people have seen this cartoon of like they ski up to the next pitch and there's your ski caddy behind you. It was like, what does it look like? Which ski do you want to take out this time? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We were saying, Sander.
0: I don't know anything about golf so forgive my golf analogies but I was like Sander only uses a 5 iron on that for everything. Yeah, and, she's got some weight to her. <laughs> yeah. And Forrest, yeah. For there's 100% a conversation coming with Forrest. Um I I just met him a few days ago and it's been it's been kind of amazing. So uh yeah. Those isolated ski mountaineers, man. They got some opinions. They got some opinions. Um but that's that's been really fun. But yeah. Forrest, I don't I literally have never met anyone in my life who rolls through absolute full ends of the spectrum on on ski gear. So he wins. He currently if there's somebody else out there, uh, I look forward to meeting you. But like Forrest is it. And I've kind of met a lot of folks by this point in my life um, in the in the ski game. But yeah, Forrest, uh, Forrest rolls through it all. I'll probably be there shortly with you, Forrest. <laughs> okay, yeah, Sorry about ne- your budget, Dina Star. <laughs> you're next. <laughs> well, listen, we should get going. We're probably going to go get on the mountain today. I don't know what conditions
1: are going to be like. We've had soft 50 degree conditions the last 2 days and now I think the phone's saying it's <laughs> 10 degree. Feels like 10 degrees outside currently. So, it's good. It's uh yeah, good day to be on some heavier gear, I I think. Us jerks complaining about the conditions. (laughs) Sorry for everybody who's scary is closed, myself included. (laughs) Right. Um, Okay. But since we're doing this blending of,
0: I don't know, blister podcast and gear 30, I feel like it's okay to ask about, yeah, Cody likes the term media recommendations. I I like more like just, what are you reading or watching or listening to? Anything
1: interesting? Yeah, totally. So, trying to navigate this whole ski career thing is there's no guide to it. And um, realizing that there's lots of resources out there for just broader athletic pursuits has been a huge uh, opening for me lately. Um, A lot of self-help books, which I always thought were so corny and Mm -hmm. so cheesy, but... When I was coming up as a professional skier, I told myself, like, I just want to be one of the 10 best skiers in the planet Hmm. with no track of how to get there, no goal setting, nothing. Um, So recently I got this book called The Mental Gym, Hmm. which I'm sure if people listen to other podcasts, they hear about this a lot. Um, But it's uh, based on a guy who used to do mental coaching for like the Arizona Cardinals, um, the Arizona Diamondbacks as well. He was based in Phoenix, but he it's so many different tales about goal setting and self-help as an athlete not being in your own head mental game and man that's just opened up um Opened up my life and realizing how self-deprecating I've been for the last five years and realizing like, just get out of your own way, set some tangible goals and reassess them every once in a while. And that's how you're actually going to move forward. Um, So yeah, big self-help book guy right now. Uh, Just finished up the mental gym and now I'm starting one called The Gap and the Gain. And this is for people that are extremely self-motivated where you're always judging yourself in the future. Where in reality, you need to judge yourself based off of where you've been and the improvements that you're slowly making, which as highly motivated people, it's hard to see every day, especially in the ski world where a film comes out and you go from zero to hero in a day. And then it's kind of washes away in the next couple of days. Um, So, yeah, the self-help stuff has been incredibly um, powerful for me lately. Um, But then I also think it's so important to just be able to disconnect um, from from this athletic pursuit all the time. And that's what helps you come back clear headed. Um, So I really enjoy the crude cartoons that are on (laughs) Netflix. (laughs) The crude cartoons. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Um, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's called Human Resources, which is a Nick Kroll cartoon. And he did another one earlier that this is based off of where it's all these children cartoons experiencing puberty and these hormone monsters and any human can relate to this stuff. Um, and so I really enjoy the crew disconnect at nighttime and even family guy, you know, I, I just think it's, it's so important to, to be laughing and enjoy this stuff because <laughs> being your own boss all the time, it's not always the, the most healthy self-talk and everything. So laugh a little, <laughs> That's good. laugh a little, <laughs> I like it.
0: Well, Hey man, I'm glad we got to do this and I've really appreciated our sort of conversations off mic. And, um, I'm really, it was so fun to have you at the blister summit and and really like a part of that panel session the mental game i i I said it then and i think i said it already earlier in this conversation i just think that's going to really help a lot of people and so i'm really grateful to you and wendy and johnny and drew for for your thoughts and your willingness to share in that conversation so um yeah really appreciate kind of what you are bringing to our little ski world and um you know look forward to see where you keep
1: moving with all of this thank you jonathan and i appreciate blister being willing to host conversations of substance um and also just like i said being able to laugh and go off the rails about you guys talk about coffee and yeah. <laughs> different cooking supplies and stuff like that and um yeah just having blister is a, a central Thing that's willing to host more than just what is the ski ski like. Um, having gone to different ski tests and stuff, those blister panels are, again, substance. And that's what's actually needs to to push things forward in this industry. Yeah, you guys are doing good things. Hmm. So thanks for hosting.
0: Yeah, well, appreciate it, man. And uh, let's go
1: ski. Sounds good.
0: Well, that's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. I want to say thanks to Sander for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And now it's time to go get back on snow and actually go ski some prototypes that we are really, really excited about. So that's what we're going to do. Have a great day, everybody. And we will catch you later this week.